Thank you for joining us for the Local Church Podcast. At Local Church, we value each person's unique experience with faith and hope this message impacts you today. Good morning, everybody from Local Church. My name is Jim Bowen, and let me begin, first of all, by thanking you. And what a privilege and an opportunity today uh, to share a lot from my heart and uh, really the great things that uh, God has done in my life, uh, an area that I'm very passionate about too. Uh, we're gonna be able to talk about that. I wanna thank Levi, Nadia, the, all the staff, and uh, just for your heart and your what you're doing through this pandemic. It has been incredible as I have enjoyed the messages like so many of you watching today. I'm gonna share a little bit about my story uh, as I get started. I was, uh, I'm probably noticed I'm a little older than Levi, Levi just a couple years, all right? Uh, I'm just actually north of 50. Now, I do give this talk in the U.S., and so I tell them I'm 38 U.S. years ago. You know, that's, you know 38 U.S. is 50 Canadian, so I'll just let you know there's a conversion working for me there. So uh, anyways, a little bit about my story. Uh, I was born in Ottawa, but like I said, I'm over about 50 years ago, and it was actually a home for teenage mothers that got pregnant, okay? Uh, right from the get-go, I dealt with an abandonment wound right from the get-go, okay? I was put up for adoption, but what happened was I actually went from foster home, foster home to foster home, okay? And although, you know, that 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 wound is passed on to the child, the abandonment wound, the abandonment wound, the wound that, you know, I don't want this baby, I don't want this child. And then what happened is I was actually adopted in a place called Sudbury, which is about, you know, 300 miles or I guess 500 kilometers north of Ottawa, northwest. Um, and uh, my dad was an electrician. Um, Mom didn't work outside of the home. But what happened is my childhood was plagued with an incredible amount of abuse. You see, my dad was an alcoholic, and Mom, uh, Mom wasn't, but Mom a lot of times was the instigator. And so I dealt with things like, um, you know, cracked ribs, uh, beatings on a weekly basis. A matter of fact, the uh, physical abuse had gotten so uh, bad that um, uh, at age 16, I was forced to uh, live on my own, okay? Uh, but I, I wanna let you know that the physical abuse was one thing, but the emotional abuse, the verbal abuse, you know, I never forget the day uh, my mother said, you know, the only reason why we adopted you uh, is because nobody else wanted you. And you see, that reinforced a, a wound. It was an incredible wound. And so anyways, by the time I was 16 years of age, here I was living on my own, uh, I had a little, you know, uh, room in an apartment building. It was about three feet by eight feet. And uh, I actually tell people it was so small, I had to walk out of the room just to change my mind. That's how small it was, okay? Uh, but I just want to let you know that what happened is I went into the world because I thought that was the place I'd find love. And really what I was, it was I was a 16-year-old little boy trying to medicate this pain that I had. And so I did all the, you know, all the wrong things, all right? Um, you know, trying to get that, that, that touch, uh, get, get that, you know, something to fill this, that, that void I had, that vacuum, that emptiness. It didn't matter what I did. Nothing could seem to, that it would fill it. And so, um, anyways, that was back in 1984, just to give, an ex to give you a, a date on, in terms of when it happened. But I knew I'd never return home again, okay? And so uh, here I was in that world looking for it, and I went to all the wrong places, okay? I numbed that pain through alcohol, uh, through uh, relationships, going from women to women to women, thinking that that was it, you know, going to the woman to take from her instead of what God intended, which was a manly strength and bring manly strength to the woman and provide that, that wasn't in my realm at that point in time, okay? Uh, and so what, one thing I've noticed is that, you know, I could have went into many different um, areas where I'm gonna call today the counterfeit to numb that pain that I went through. I could have been addicted to porn, I could have went to cocaine, uh, I could have been into fighting. I mean, so many of us have these things and we wonder why. And so I just want to let you know that the counterfeit never, ever satisfies. It always, always leaves us emptier. And that's where I was, you know. And then I got into business in the early 90s. And I'm still in the same company today. Here I am, 31 years in the same industry, same company. And I had, you know, I was driven, again, to fill that emptiness, to fill that void. But it was, I was going to do it through the money. 
and I was going to do it through success and notoriety and, and everything. And it didn't matter what I did. Nothing could fill the void. Even when I went down the road of materialism, you know, I remember, you know, buying uh, cars and Porsches and buying, uh, Porsche is a car, by the way, but, uh, you know, boats and bigger boats. And I couldn't fill the void. I couldn't fill that emptiness. You know, then what happened is um, in December of uh, 1990, I actually made a decision for Christ. And I want to let you know I made a decision for Christ, but I never made a commitment for Christ. You see, you can make a decision to join a gym, but a commitment to get in shape are two different things. See, I made a decision, but I never, ever pursued a discipleship, never pursued discipleship. And so a few years later, the old self came right back again. You know, I never had what, you know, the, the, what, the, what local church has with the cell groups and the small groups and the discipleship want you to grow in Christ. I never had that. So here I was, uh, you know, I was playing this game called church. And at that point in the early 90s, it was just you pick the Bible up and you carry it to church on Sunday. You never read it through the week. It was kind of like my fig leaf. You know, I kind of, kind of, you know, just kind of act religious behind it but never with not the authentic part, not that, 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 you know, who is Jesus and that passion to get to know him. And so anyway, what happened is uh, I went through some tough times and I actually left the local church at that point in time. No pun intended, wasn't that this church, but anyways, I had left the church and trying to fill that void, trying to fill that vacuum. And it didn't matter what I did. I just couldn't do it. You know, then I met Trish, my wife, uh, in, in 1996, uh, we got married in uh, 1998. And we had just, if you remember those dating stages, the great infatuation stage. But here's what I want to tell you. God does not design our spouse or our partner to fill that void, that vacuum, that hole. And so sure enough, you know, after two, three years, we got married. There's a pattern that started to reveal its ugly head again. But what happened is we hit rock bottom. And on February 3rd of 2000, I was involved in a very serious snowmobile accident where I should have been decapitated. Uh, we had talked about a separation then, that day and we decided we were gonna get separated, but you see, God had a different plan. See, I hit a barbed wire at a high speed. I broke my femur and I had barbed wire lacerations across the top of my neck where I should have been decapitated. You know, and, and I'm not, I, I don't know if God ever was speaking to me up to that point, but I heard something that day. There was an impression in my spirit. I'm not saying it was audible, but there was, I knew it was something. And it was like, Jim, do I have your attention? And here I was, you know, laying in a snowbank at 20 below zero, thinking, how am I going to get out of this? And I remember looking up to the sky and saying, God, if you can get me out of this and spare my life, I will get to know you. And that began a journey, okay? And I called a friend of mine who was a Christian kind of worked with men, his name was Lyle, and I, and I sat down with him at Montana's here in Ottawa, and I looked at him, you know, eyeball to eyeball, and I said, let me ask you two questions. Number one, um, can your God fix this hole, this void, this vacuum that nothing else can fix? And number two, can he heal my marriage because we're hanging on a thread? And it wasn't what he said, but it was how he said it. And what he said and how he said it was, God will make it better than it's ever been because it will be built on the right foundation. And I'm here to testify today that, you know, I'm not the old self anymore, but today I give God the glory that I am a new creation in Christ. The old is gone, the new has come, and I'm so, so excited. So um, anyways, I want to let you know that I did not come to Jesus for no other reason then I tried everything that sin told me to do. Everything. I wasn't happy, right? Sin actually lied to me, okay? And we found out that sin kills, right? I was empty. But what happened was when I got involved with the local church and I got into that discipling, that, you know, we called today maybe mentoring, but it was really becoming a follower of Jesus Christ. This is when the vacuum went away, the emptiness, the hole. And I started understanding really who my identity was, all right? So what I want to do is, you know, I've also grown in the financial side. And this is where one of my passions is, all right? So as I move to the financial side, let me tell you, it is a journey, a journey for every single one of us. And I still continue to learn today. So I don't want to sit here and go, you know, Jim has the answers. But I'm going to tell you what, we use the scripture 
I, for everything, I'm going to back it up with Scripture because there is a level now where I believe there's a level of authority that I've walked through because of what God has done in the area of the giving in part of my life, okay? Let me begin by God is no respecter of persons, okay? We, let me tell you how important we know uh, money, stewardship, and finances in the Scripture. Let me tell you why we know it's important. You see, faith is mentioned over 500 times in Scripture. Prayer is actually mentioned over 500 times in Scripture. But stewardship, possessions, finance is mentioned 2,350 times. That tells me, tells you, that the level of importance in this area is, you know, it, it, I mean, you can't emphasize it any more than it has. See, when it comes to wealth and stewardship, let me tell you what there's going to be. Because it is for me, and it was for me, and it's a faith battle. And as soon as you get the good seed planted, even today, when, we, when God's going to, there's going to be a seed that's going to be planted. The enemy is going to come to steal, and he's going to try to take that thought away, all right? See, I'm believing that this message is going to have the impact on you like it did me years ago, all right? And so for many of us over the years, the challenge is the message we heard about giving, money, or finances, is that having less is more holy than having more, okay? See, we've come to the conclusion that having more is actually evil, all right? See, I believe wealth is God's divine plan, but it's been distorted by the enemy, okay, to keep those who could do well and have it, not to have it, all right? See, money's just a tool. That's all it is. Wealth is a tool. Think about this. A wealth in the tool of the hands of a believer can become very dangerous to the enemy. All right? See, my, and we all know this, but money actually amplifies whatever it touches. All right? You give money to a drug addict, he's going to go out and purchase more drugs. All right? You put money in the hands of a strong believer, and they'll actually become influencers in their community or their sphere of influence. They'll give more. They'll tithe more. They'll fund other causes. All right? That's what we, we all kind of already know that. All right? See, King David wrote that God takes pleasure in the prosperity of a servant. Wow. Think about that. He takes pleasure in the prosperity of his servant. All right? See, this is not a message this morning or this afternoon, depends when you're watching it, okay, about prosperity theology. You see, prosperity theology would have a different message. It would be, you know, we have wealth so that we could show the world how much God blesses us of those he loves and we follow him. That's, that's prosperity theology. That's not what we are talking about today. You know, 2 Corinthians 9, okay, um, verse 10 to 11, Paul says, you'll be made rich in every way so that you can actually be generous on every occasion. You know, he doesn't make us rich so we can indulge ourselves, you know, spoil our children, insulate ourselves from needing God's provision. You know, I'm in the financial arena. I, I, I own a, a large financial company. You know, there's a lot of talk about financial independence. But biblically, we're not called to be independent. We are called to be financially dependent on God. Everything is about dependence, okay? And, and, and I want to let you know as my church family, that, that today is an area I struggle with. I want to be transparent with you. I struggle with how much is enough, insulating myself, because I could fall into that trap very easily. And that will be a trap, okay? See, giving really is a condition of the heart, all right? You know, I've heard people say, you know, we got to help people in third world countries because they have nothing. You know, they got a little, they live in a little hut. And I say, at the end of the day, you know, it's always a condition of the heart. Let me give an example. The guy that's, you know, in the third world country that has a hut and is a straw, uh, straw um, you know, roof. He's looking at his neighbor with a tin roof and going, man, I wish I had that tin roof. And then, and then that guy with the tin roof is looking at his neighbor with two stories of mud with a tin roof going, man, I want a house with a second story. And then that guy's looking at, what if I can have a house with those kind of windows with the second story, right? But they're always wanting more, wanting more. You see, it's always a condition of the heart, right? See, the question you're going to ask yourself when you're in position, when you're looking at the money, is what is the motive of your heart? 
That's the biggest one. What is the motive of your heart? Is it to be generous on all occasions? Is it to be generous on all occasions? You know, Proverbs 22.4 says, Humility and fear of the Lord bring wealth, honor, and life. I'm going to repeat that. Because there's so much wisdom in Proverbs. Humility and fear of the Lord bring wealth and honor and life. You know, Randy Alcorn in his book called Money, Possessions, and Eternity. This is shocking when I heard this 20 years ago. He says, you know, 9 out of 10 Christians will pass the persecution tests. But the same 9 out of 10 Christians will fail the prosperity test. Money is going to be the greatest challenge for many of us. For many of us. All right? See, the question I'm going to start with is what do you have? Every time you ask God for something, he's going to ask you for something. See, you, we can't ask the Lord to guide our footsteps if we're unwilling to move our feet. You Think about the story of Elisha helping the poor widow in 2 Kings. You know, that was chapter 4, verse 1 to 7, when she had just a little bit, a little, just a little bit of jar of oil, right? What happened is he had to ask, what do you have? And she said, I have a little bit of oil. You know, when, when Jesus talks about, uh, you know, the little boy and feeding 5,000 people in Mark 6, and, and, and that was verse 41 to 44. When verse 38, this is what Jesus asks. How much bread do you have? All right? He asked that, and he said, go find out. Go find out how much bread we have. Then he came back, and they reported, we have five loaves of bread and two fish. See, Jesus knows how to produce a, a, an abundant harvest in our lives. I mean, he's the only person I know that retrieved money out of a fish's mouth. I mean, that, I mean, he knows how to produce a harvest, okay? But what happens is, friends, is there seems to be um, a welfare mentality from many Christians that, that God is just going to, you know, just drop something into our lap, all right? He's going to give us something without sowing. You know, I've heard many Christians, they'll quote a scripture, that the wealth of the wicked is stored up for the righteous, you know, you can't build a whole theology on one verse. You see, Scripture says actually he's going to give seed to the sower, not the Christian. He's going to give seed to the sower. Okay? See, once we give it to God, then the multiplication begins. Then it happens. You know, that same verse about the, the, in Mark about the, the, the boy with the, uh, the, the, the loaves of bread and the fish, in verse 41 to 44, it said, Jesus fed the 5,000. When the, 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 with the, the boy, the, he originally, when he sowed, okay, what did he get in return? 12 baskets of leftovers after feeding 5,000 people. It's incredible. The, you can't, the, the compounding is incredible, all right? It, it blows me away. You see, here's what I want to talk about this morning. There's the four areas of giving. The four, there's four areas of giving. It's just not one. And the one we know a lot about is our tithe, okay? So we're going to begin with the tithe. Let me share with you about the tithe. And I, guys, I was ministered to. I struggled in this area when I first became a Christian. I remember the first time I had to put $20 in a plate. Man, it was, it was a big deal, okay? And here's what I want to tell you. Tithe is not the end of giving. It's actually the beginning of the giving. See, the tithe doesn't even belong to us. It's not ours. You see, Psalm 24.1 in 1 Corinthians 10.26 tells us, that the earth is the Lord's in all its fullness, the world and those who dwell therein. It's all God's. See, I interpret that as we're actually renting part of God's property. We're breathing His air. We're enjoying His sunshine. We're loving the four seasons. We're, you know, drinking the water. That's His, all right? See, the tithe is actually money we owe. It's the Lord's. We owe it to Him. All right, what is tithe? What does that mean? The tithe interprets, as, if you look at the interpretation, it means 10th part, okay? North America, we just call it 10%, 10%. The tithe is something you really even, don't even really need to pray about. It's amazing. I'll have Christians say, well, I need to pray about that. Let me just help you out here just as a businessman, as a, a friend, as a local church. You don't got to pray about something where it's already in God's Word. He is not going to contradict himself, okay? Uh, it's in the Word, all right? Uh, if it's in the Word... You just got to take it literally. 
That's what I love about it. Some of the, what I'm going to share with you, it's in the Word. And I'd rather err on listening to what the Word says than try to you know, get off kilter, right? See, really, at the end of the day, it's actually a step of obedience and trust, right? The tithe, once again, is, it's never the ceiling. It's actually the floor. It's the beginning point, all right? And you're going to see what's going to happen in a few minutes when you catch really what we're saying about that, that it's the beginning point, okay? But I want you to reflect on the fact that when you, when you tithe, God actually offers us a reward to give back his property to him. It's amazing. We, we, we give it back and, and watch what the reward happens, okay? See, now, let me, and I know some of you go, you know, tithing, it's not about legalism. Let me tell you something. I don't like do's and don'ts. I hear you. Can tithing be, holistic, can be legalistic? Absolutely. But so could prayer. So could church attendance. So can Bible reading, all right? But let me tell you, I don't know anyone personally, and I know a lot of people, I don't know anyone personally that feels that tithing is actually legalistic, all right? Some have said that, you know, tithing is in bondage and we've been liberated under grace giving. The underlying message with grace giving, and this is unfortunate, is give whatever you feel like. The challenge is most of us believers we don't feel like giving. Imagine, I've heard that, I've been in environments where the pastor or ministry leader will say, give as you feel led. Can you imagine if someone said to me under different contexts, said, Jim, eat as you feel led. Eat as you feel. Do you know how big I would be if I actually ate what I really wanted to eat? There wouldn't be enough room in this studio to hold me, all right? You see, what happens at the end of the day We've got to exercise the same discipline with our giving as with our eating, all right? You see, but it's very interesting. What happens, though, is we have a tendency when we, when we hear something, you say, well, that's under the law, okay? We can put certain things under the law. We, we'll say that. Sometimes when it comes to judging another brother, maybe an adultery or, or using the Lord's name in vain, you know, we can be a little bit judgmental, all right? Or when you know we find something that though that that's difficult for us in a personal level, difficult for me, and I've been there. Okay, all of a sudden uh, we say that's under the law. All right, you see the strongest argument against tithing is law versus grace. But does does being under grace mean that we should stop doing what was under the law? Is that what it means? You see, my limited experience has taught me that usually when someone is arguing whether tithing is taught in the New Testament, they're not trying to justify their desire to give more than 10% of their income to God. It's just not, right? Typically, this is a person who wants to do as little as possible to get by. See, tithing, be honest with you, it's not a faith issue. It's not. It's actually an obedience and a trust issue, all right? See, we have to obey the word. We have to obey the word and what it says and trust in Jesus, okay, and what he says in his word. You know, uh, Malachi, which is the great Italian prophet, just kidding, it's Malachi, it's, uh, Malachi but I just add a little humor here. But anyways, Malachi, verse, uh, chapter 3, verse 8 9, he talks about the tithe. And I, I just, I want to share this with you because, guys, this ministered me 20 years ago. My life radically changed, okay? And this, this came out of the Message Bible, but it says, bring your full tithe into the storehouse. Notice the word full, not 3%, not 5%. He said, so there'll be ample provision in my temple. See, if people aren't bringing in the full tithe, the local church, no pun intended, okay, suffers, all right? If you don't bring the whole tithe, scripture says, then you're under a curse. You're under a curse. Guys, I'm a businessman. That's a strong word that I don't want that following me. I don't want to be under the curse. You know, why the storehouse? The storehouse being the main ministry, okay, that ministers to each one of us and our families, all right? 99% of that is the local church. 99% of us is the local church. That's where we're ministered to, okay? The tithe is designed for service of the sanctuary, okay? According to the book of Numbers, it was designed for the priests who wouldn't have to work secularly. Now, let me give an example why that's so important, right? You look at Levi and Nadia. See, I want them rested, rested, not been working all week. You see, what happens if a day comes 
and this is kind of you know empathy in a bit, but what happens when a day comes where all of a sudden they walk by my son or my daughter and they're in the gutter? I wouldn't want to know that Levi or Nadia was so exhausted that they didn't have time or any reserves to minister to my son or my daughter. You see, the local church is positioned as the light in the community. See, if I had, I've had people ask, is it okay to tie 3% or 5%? Guys, that's a tough one. I know I asked the same question. You know, it's kind of like saying, Jim, you know, um, I used to rob six convenience stores, but I'm down to two now a month. You know, is, is that okay? I, I'm going to be honest with you guys, based on what scripture says, I, it's not about robbing God less. At the end of the day, I'm thinking, let's stop robbing him at all. That, guys, that's what it spoke to me. I'm just speaking from authority, what God did in my life, okay? See, no to grace is, to this is just, you know, pray if you need to and say, God, I'm really, I'm struggling in this area. I'm struggling maybe with my trust in you. You can be honest with him, but you got to start, you know, faith is, it's stepping out. Obedience is stepping out. This is what you want to do because he's not going to contradict his word. He wants you to trust him. All right. See, even in Malachi says, you know, test me in this. Guys, that's, there's not too many places where you can test God. You know, this is probably the only place I'm aware of. I'm not a, I'm not a pastor. I don't know all the scripture, you know, like Levi and Nadia do, right? I haven't taken any Bible courses or anything like that, but I, but I read the word. But it says, test me in this. And this is what I want you to hear right now. He says, I will defend you against the devourer. Guys, it rebukes the devourer. Think about that, right? It's going to protect us. That's what blows him. He's going to protect us. He's going to fertilize it. We're going to have abundance. Let's talk about rebuking the devourer for a second, all right? Think about this. And when you hear about the story of the Israelites, how their clothes lasted for 40 years, you know, they're... Their new Nike sandals they had lasted for 40 years. See, I really believe that personally, on a personal level, I look at my business. He's protected my business for, you know, I'm going on 32 years now in business, all right? Uh, you know, it could be for some of us, it could be, you know, the brakes had never gone on the car. Maybe so much as you never, you know, you've had 300,000 kilometers on a car, and maybe all you had was an oil change. But that thing keeps going. You see, God is, you know, maybe it's a washing machine that you've had for 20 years and it just keeps ticking away, all right? You see, that's what that's some of the things that the benefits that God has when we tithe, when we go out and we do that. There's this miraculous of stretching, kind of like he did with the oil and the bread with Elisha and the widow, right? He It stretched. What he did with the children of Israel in the desert, same clothes, 40 years, same sandals, 40 years in the wilderness, 40, all right? See, the tithe, what it does, it opens the, the floodgates of heaven to actually go out and irrigate. You see, in this passage, here we find the promise. We find the promise that if we simply pay our tithes and believe in the promise that it's unshakable. So part of it is we got to be obedient. But then we got to start believing. Start believing in the promises that God's going to pour out an incredible blessing. All right? And is it always finances? Maybe not. It could be in a position of influence. It could be a position of boldness. There's so many things that God's given me and wants to give you and every one of us. Okay? But here's why I want to speak from a different position today. All right? Is that I've walked this now for 20-some years. I've watched God deliver every single time. You can't outgive God. Okay, uh, the principle that can be the only principle that can be appropriated though is by faith, in order to see these these promises manifested. So let me give you this: the, the, what I call the secret is expectation. See, because I expect the harvest when I plant seed, when I sow, when I you're going to hear this in a few minutes. I I expect the harvest. Imagine a farmer that plants a seed and say, "Well, I planted seeds, but I don't think anything's coming up this year." No, when he plants seeds, he's expecting the harvest. He's saying, "Hey." Let's keep watering. Something's coming. It's coming. We don't see it right away, but it's coming because of his experience. And that's what I'm going to share with you is I've got the experience. And, you know, faith comes by hearing, right? And that's, what's, that's what we want to talk about today is getting you on that journey. You know, I've had people say, you know, should we, should we tithe on our gross or a net income? Uh, you know, I don't Do you want a gross blessing or do you want a net blessing? 
Okay, I mean, those are questions I think you can wrestle through, right? Um, you know, I, 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 at the end of the day, I'd still rather be, you know, remember, it's a curse if we don't tithe, but I'd rather be 90% blessed than 100% cursed, okay? See, we don't want to make the mistake that tithing is optional, all right? Some of you might think, you know, Jim, I, 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 you know, I made some decisions, I got some debt, I can't afford to tithe. Um, you know, I, I think some of these might have, maybe you've wrestled with that, right? See, tithing is God's will, and he promises to provide for those who trust and obey him. You see, in fact, I really believe we are a lot safer living on less inside God's will than living on more outside of God's will. See, I personally believe that no one benefits from keeping the tithe. Either the devil gets it or it just seems to disappear. See, many people uh, that tithe, they've communicated to me that they have more joy and they find it easier to live on 90% than they did at 100%, all right? Uh, you know, how about, let me ask you, here's, a, here's an example. What if your employer uh, Monday, say tomorrow, um, says, just want to let you know, uh, to be competitive in the marketplace, we had to reduce your salary by 10%. What would you do? You would adjust. You would adjust. You'd make some adjustments. And logically, therefore, that tells me if you can make some adjustments, you can tithe, right? You see, what the challenge is, the enemy's working on many of us. Even on this message, he's going to start working right away because the seed's trying to get planted. His job's to choke that seed up. Right? That's why you, this is something you're going to have to pray about, something you're going to have to unpack. All right? You know, here's some concerns. You no, know, number one, I've had people say, well, you know, I need to pay off my debts. I should pay off my debts rather than tithe. You know, it, it, my, my statement of that is a God's responsibility for my maybe unwise, maybe greedy decisions I made at one point. Why would I ever want to, you know, why would I ever want to rob God to pay men? Okay? Especially if he's the great provider. Why would I ever want to do that? See, when we steal from him, we can't expect him to bless us financially. So you've got to be careful not to justify our position, okay? Uh, we can't justify our position because I've had some people say, and this is over the years, you know, Jim, I, I volunteer at the church. I run uh, the AV. I do cleanup. I do setup. I run children's ministry. I'll kind of consider my time as my tithe. And that's all great, but it does not exclude it. You see, stewardship includes all of the above we talked about, but it never excludes money, okay? Here's some stats, and maybe you're going to fall. Here's what I don't want you to do right now, is don't fall under condemnation. That's not what the message is about. Here's some stats. 40% of people, this is the big C context church, the big C, church at large. 40% of people give nothing every month, regular church attenders. 20% give 2% of their income. Okay, so wherever you fit in, here's what I want to share with you, okay? Don't, don't, don't fall under that condemnation. That's what you don't want to do. You know, it, it, some of this, it's going to be, you're going to be spurred on this morning. Some of this, the Spirit might give you a mild conviction. That's healthy. That's okay. Right? That, that's, that's part of God developing our character and working with you, and He's got big plans for you, right? And, and let me move to the next section, First Fruits, because I got to start, we want to start wrapping this up or... You know, I'm going to be going into a two and a half hour sermon here, and I don't want to do that. So uh, let's talk about first fruits because this is excites me, okay? Uh, first fruits reminded people of God's ownership, all right? And I'm going to talk about what it means first fruits. What does that look like, okay? Uh, first fruits, they saw God as a source of life and blessing. And this is an area of obedience as well as an area of first fruits. And I'm going to explain what that looks like. It's one of my favorite verses coming up right here, and that's in Exodus 23:20. Okay, it says, Behold, and when you're in the first fruits, it says, Behold, I send an angel before thee to, okay, to keep thee in the way and to bring thee into the place which I have prepared. Now, I know it's King James Version, but you know, you can unpack that later with the NIV. But anyways, first, consider the word angel. I want you to just consider this angel. God says two things. Number one, he's going to keep you in the way. Two, he's going to bring you into the place in which he prepared for you. See, in my business, when I look what he's given me, and guys, he has given it to me. I'm just going to be upfront with you. I know too many people have worked way harder than I have, way more smarter, way more talented. But you see, God has positioned me in a position of influence, has given everything. And that keeps me humble because I know where it came from, okay? So number one, he keeps me in the way, keeps me happy. Picture this means, though. 
I have an angel sent by God to watch over, to guard, and to guide me. Isn't that what each one of us want? See, doesn't that fire you up? Doesn't that like fire you up? I mean, it fires me up, right? See, we can't move to this, though. Here's the challenge. We can't move to the first fruits if we haven't given our tithe. It doesn't go, okay, I'm going to give my 3% tithe. This is my first fruits. It don't work like that. you got to get above the 10%. Remember, the tithe is the floor. It's not the ceiling. So here's what, again, what the first fruits means. That means your affairs are his affairs. Your problems are actually his problems. You know, I've had people criticize me over the years. They've attacked. They said things. But it's incredible that the peace I have in the midst of the storm. Okay, things have been said. They just, it's like water in a duck's back. It just doesn't bother me, right? I let him take care of those battles. He says the angel will also bring you into a place that the Father has prepared just for you, just for me, right? God is a particular place for each one of us, specifically designed for you. You know, it could be a promotion, could be a new job, could be a new business. This is exciting. This is where each and every one of us should want to be. You know, verse 22 to 24 says, alludes to the fact that him being our business partner will add a considerable benefit package to these verses, right? Now, Now think about this. He will be an enemy to my enemies. He'll be an adversary to my adversaries. I mean, you think about the power of this on the first fruit, on the uh, first fruits, okay? So some other ones, I mean, they talk about lifespan and prevent sickness, etc. But let me tell you exactly what's going to happen. When we're getting to these first fruits, the enemy's going to throw a thought at you. He's going to go, oh, it's too late for you. Money's not going to come your way. Okay, that happens to other people. You've got to take that, that thought captive. God's an irrespecter of persons, all right? Take the thought captive. It, it's a good seed. See, always, the counterfeit always comes right away. It brings confusion. It brings doubt. This is where you got to have faith and you got to speak it forth, all right? See, guys, I, I'm expecting a promotion. I'm expecting good things at work. Lord's going to give me favor today. This is how you got to start walking. And you're going to have challenges. But God's going to give me, he's going to teach me through the challenge. I'm going to come out the other side, right? He has great plans for me. So people say, well, talk about first fruits. What are first fruits? So let me, I just, I'm going to keep it really simple for you. Let's say you go to work tomorrow morning. Your boss pulls you aside and says, hey, we're so impressed with your work. Starting this month, we're going to give you a $2,000 pay raise. $2,000 pay raise, that whole $2,000, that's first fruits. I can't wait to take the $2,000 and get it in the ground. I'd live without it this far. Why do I? I'm not going to, it's not tithing on the two. I give the whole $2,000 to God that month because I'm saying, Lord, thank you for the promotion. Thank you for that revenue stream. Thank you, because I knew it came from him. All right, let me tell you what's going to happen. As soon as you get to 2,000, thought, I got to fix the brakes in the car. I got to do that. You, you, this is what I'm sharing. If, if, it can wait 30 days. Put the seed in the ground. And then next month, you would tithe on the new income level, right? Um, but so let me tell you, Proverbs 3, verse 9 to 10, it says, Honor the Lord with your wealth, with the first fruits of your crops. Then your barns will be filled and overflowing and your vats will brim over with new wine. See, what you're doing is you're showing gratitude to God for his blessing. You know, where, do the first fruit, where should the first fruits grow? Ezekiel 44 verse 30 says that we are to give the first fruits to the priests. To me, the modern day equivalent of that would be anybody that's speaking into our lives that's in fivefold ministry. Right, whether it's a pastor, prophet, teacher, evangelist, um, I'm missing one of them, but anyways, the fivefold ministry. Who's speaking into them? Okay. You know, some of you will wonder, you know, this first fruits apply to today, you know, since it was introduced in the Old Testament. Well, Romans eleven sixteen, or right, the NIV. Since it's part of the dough offered as first fruits is holy, then the whole batch is holy. If the root is holy, so are the branches. All right. See, my humble opinion is this. If I have the slightest question in my mind, why take a chance? Why take a chance, right? Don't want to have, I don't want to have an unpaid debt with God. I don't want to have that. Let's move to the, I got the final two sections. We're going to fly through this because of time. Alms. One thing I've appreciated about um, our local church under Nadia uh, and Levi's leadership and their authority is their passion to serve the community and the ones that are less fortunate. You know, um, and we benefit, by the way, from that because there's always a spiritual impartation. There's always that, you know, the impartation, what I call uh, from Elijah to Alicia, there's always what's been modeled to us and what it's been on our radar. 
See, in this area, this is where we actually give very quietly. You know, this is where Jesus says, be careful not to you know, do your acts of righteousness before men to be seen by them. See, if you do, you'll have no reward from the Father in heaven. And that comes out of Matthew 6, verse 1, right? The message, okay? It says, when you give to the needy, he says, don't announce it. Let me give an example when we say the needy. This is the scripture that talks about, really pertains to widows, the orphans, the poor, the elderly. Um, this is what it pertains to. But let me give you another example. Let's say, uh, you know, Levi and Natty went through a real tough time and they couldn't pay their mortgage. And I said, hey, I'll pay your mortgage. And then I tell everybody, church, hey, by the way, hey, you know, I, I took care of their mortgage for them last month. I got my glory then, but I didn't get my glory from God. See, that, and the reason why God's trying to protect so it doesn't embarrass anybody, it's about Him getting the glory. See, when it comes to alms, we have to be very quiet, very, very quiet. The motivation here is compassion or empathy towards the poor. And people say, well, how do you get that empathy? All I do is I think about my own son or my daughter. The what if one day, or my grandson who I haven't met yet, what if one day they're in the gutter and I'm gone? Right? I want that same compassion, that same modeled to them. That's, that's what alms are, okay? So you've got to give in secret. That's what we need to do. This is that scripture that pertains to that market or that, you know, demographics, okay? Uh, Deuteronomy 15, 10, verse 11, 10, 10, 11, sorry, 15, verse 10, 11. It says, give generally to the poor and do so without grudgingly, without a grudging heart. Then because of this, the Lord your God will bless you in all your work and everything you put your hand to. See, there'll always be poor. There'll always be the widows. There'll always be the orphans, all right? Therefore, it says, I command you to be open-handed toward the, your brothers and toward the poor and the needy in your land. You see, it says in Proverbs 21, 13, now remember, I'm a business guy, I take this literally. Those who shut their ears to the cries of the poor will be ignored in their own time of need. What a great motive for an insurance policy for every one of us. You know, give to the poor. Someday that could be us or somebody we know. That could be at any, at any point in time. What? a promise from God of an insurance policy. You know, Proverbs 19, 17, it says, he was kind to the poor, lends to the Lord, and he will pay back what he has given. Everything you sow seed in, God's gonna pay you back, all right? God's gonna reimburse you for whatever you've done and whatever you've given to the poor. He gives to the poor, will lack nothing. He who gives to the poor will lack, no will lack, will lack nothing, okay? Watch this one now. But he who closes his eyes to them receives many Curses, all right, and that's Proverbs 28 to 27, all right? See, many times it could be the money, but not always, all right? So you could have the gift of help. Somebody's gonna have the gift of helps or preparing a meal, whatever, whatever can minister to the poor, all right? These are platforms, these are avenues, all right? See, caring for the poor and helpless, I really believe is so basic of the Christian faith. See, the poor, uh, I believe is, and I, I, mean, I want to share this when you know when you look back at the the New Testament when Saul was persecuting the Christians. Here he was persecuting. Jesus appeared to him right when he was persecuting. And he says, "Why are you persecuting me?" Think about that. And I'm sharing it with you because if we, guys, we got to be passionate about going out. We got to feed the hungry, give clothes to the needy, we give drink to the thirsty, and we visit the persecuted. If we are doing that, then we're doing things to Him. That's what we want. That's what we want our church to be doing. That's what each one of us wants to be doing, okay? This is definitely a sowing and reaping area. But we need to be our, we need, because guys, at some point, this, this is stepping on faith now. This is a faith issue, all right? So Matthew 25, verse 34 to 35, it says, Come, you who are blessed by my Father, take your inheritance now. The kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world, for I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. Isn't that incredible? We're gonna hear those words someday, that we gave him something to eat, even though it was the poor, all right? See, inversely though, watch this. Now remember, guys, this is warning me. This blows me away, right? Inversely, if we don't do these things, then we're turning our backs on Christ himself. He says, to those who didn't help the poor and needy, watch this now, this is strong. All right, I'm not a pastor. Maybe Levi's gonna straighten me out after this, okay? But this is what it says. Depart from me, you who are cursed, into eternal fire, prepare for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry, and you didn't give me nothing to eat. Matthew 24, sorry, Matthew 25, verse 41 to 42. That's pretty strong. 
I don't want to miss this. I know each one is the same way. You don't want to miss this part, okay? Hey, I'm going to fly through this last part of seed faith because we're going to go over time here. But this is the most exciting for me, okay? Most exciting of all stages is seed faith, offering, and, and this is where, okay? This is what comes after. This is big, this is big into the sowing stage, okay? Um, after tithing for sure because God uses seed time and harvest to produce abundance in our lives, all right? So you can't bring forth a harvest which you have not sown a seed, all right? So people wonder, you know, you've ever wondered why God blesses some people, not others? You ever, has that ever crossed your mind, okay? Why does God seem to, these people touch this thing and it prospers? Why do they walk in health? Why do they have favor? Why is opportunity coming to them? See, what happens is there's seed, but to you, the enemy comes, he tries to grab that seed from you, that thought, that doubt, right? You're not, he'll tell you, you're not meant for wealth, right? See, remember, God's not a respecter of persons, all right? See, there's seed time, there's plant time, and there's harvest time. In 2 Corinthians 9, ver, uh, sorry, verse 8, 2 Corinthians 9, verse 8, it says, God is able to make grace abound towards you that always have all sufficiency in all things, may have abundance for you in every good work. See, God has promised us abundance for every good work through His grace. His grace is His enabling power, right? Giving releases grace. Giving releases grace. What, so, so what happens is it produces, it's good measured, it's pressed down, it's shaken, it's together, and it's running over. See, what is the seed that multiplies? Let me give an example, and I'm not a farmer. This is what I heard. One tomato seed, just one tomato seed, apparently will produce 60 to 100 tomatoes. See, offering a seed of faith can produce a 30 to 60 to 100 fold back to you. Okay, Luke 6, 38 says, Give, and it will be given to you. It will be pressed down, shaken together, and run over. All right? See, if, it's almost like if you put $100 in, hundreds come out. You put 1,000 in, tens of thousands come out. Here's what I want to share with you. Your motive here is key. If your motive is, I just want to give money to God to get, God knows your heart. you got to pray for a changed heart. God, if you give money, say, Lord, I want to give money. If it comes back, I want to give more back to you. Your motive's got to be generous. Your motive's got to be, I want to give more. I want to give more. You see, there's only one way to live, and that's in the fullness of the gospel. The fullness. You guys, and, and I'm saying this because many of us, what we're great as we read the Bible, and we pray, and we meditate on it, all right? But how many of us take it literally, seriously, everything, okay? See, I'll hear things like, yeah, I'm not a reader. You know, I don't like to read, et cetera, et cetera. I'm going to tell you guys, in, in Proverbs 13, 18, it says this, poverty and shame, okay, shall be to him that refuseth instruction, that refuseth instruction, all right? You see, the Word of God doesn't change you, all right? It, hear what I'm saying? The Word of God doesn't change you. It's what you do with the Word of God that changes you. That's the key, is what are you going to do with the Word you got this morning? There's going to be a step of faith, but remember, there's going to be a battle. That's what we're going to be talking about, right? Giving's a good deed. Paul says, see that you excel in the grace of giving. In 2 Corinthians 8, 7, 8, 7 giving is a good deed. So I know, I'm going, to, I'm going to give you an example of that, all right? I did this, I was telling Levi, I did this two weeks ago. I was on social media, Okay. And there's a church in Toronto, and there's a lot of fruit in the church, and they just went through a renovation. They had needed a stereo system, and they were and they just put it out two weeks ago, and they said we had thirty thousand dollars that they needed. And guys, it was a prompt in my spirit, and it was from God. I knew it was from the devil, it was from God because God said I want you to sow seed into that ministry. And so I got on there and I messaged the pastor and I said, look it, I'll match five thousand dollars, dollar for dollar, in the next two weeks until May thirty first, May thirtieth. I'll match dollar for dollar. He put that message out and he brought in $15,000 plus my five was 20 or the 30 in two weeks. You see, giving's a good deed. We're called to spur one another on a good deeds. It's a good deed. See, even King David, what did he do? He told the people exactly what he was going to give to build the temple. The precise amounts of gold, the precious stones that were contributed by all the leadership. He had everything. It was going to be made public. And what happened is the people rejoiced at the willing response of the leaders that they had given freely and they had given wholeheartedly. And that comes out of 1 Chronicles 29.9. See, I believe this as I wrap up. Unless we learn how to humbly tell each other, okay, about our giving and our stories, 
our churches are not going to learn how to give. Our local church is not going to learn how to give unless we start talking about the stories. See, I know that there's a balance of confidentiality and giving. But see, this creates another temptation. Many believers take advantage of the vial, the vial of privacy by using it as a cloak for their disobedience in giving. There's always lots of talk of accountability. But what are we doing in the church to hold each other accountable in the area of generous giving? See, I know we shouldn't brag about our Bible studies. I know we shouldn't brag about prayer. And I know we shouldn't brag about evangelism or parenting or even giving. But we shouldn't cover it up either. See, I believe it's easier for people to follow footprints than it is commands. It seems when it comes to giving, there's no accountability. Many of us operate under don't ask, don't tell policy. Okay? If we're supposed to model everything, why is money exempt? It's their unspoken agreement. I won't talk about it if you won't talk about it. But see, Hebrews 10, 24 says, tell us to spur one another on in good deeds. It's with the word love and good deeds. See, we can be spurred on, but we can only be spurred on by what we see. In closing, it's a very difficult message today. It was difficult for me 20 years ago, but it challenged me. It challenged my faith, okay? See, I can speak from my experiences in this area, all right? And here's what I know when I get the promptings. I'd rather step out and be wrong then miss it. I'd rather step on and be wrong and then miss it. See, this is a message that may take you years to unpack, all right? But we covered the four areas of giving today. Just the four areas. But here's what I want to tell you. Don't let the enemy move you toward any judgment, towards me, towards the church, towards Levi. Take it. Unpack it before the Lord, right? Ask him to step you out and, and increase your faith. Remember, faith comes by hearing. And this is what you're hearing today, all right? And, and, and watch what resonates with you. Take that scripture you heard and unpack it with the Lord and let it fall to the ground. It's incredible. Let me just close in prayer with my church family. Heavenly Fathers, we thank you, Lord, for, first of all, Lord, for the local church here under Levi and Natty's authority for being just a light in the community, Lord. We thank you for the passion of the poor and reaching the lost and and having people just come to Jesus, Lord, and, and, and really become more like Jesus. And Father, we know the emphasis you have in the area of stewardship and money and finances and, and the importance of it. And Fathers, all my brothers and sisters in Christ are watching this message, Lord. Father, we bind any thought from the enemy that's not from you, Lord. And Father, that they would just be challenged now to unpack it, to step out in faith, because God, you are calling them to a higher level. We are called to step out into a life of faith, not just a Sunday faith, but a whole life of faith. And so Father, I also wanna, uh, that if there's anything, Lord, that they've heard that was offensive, that was not from you, Father, we pray that that would fall to the ground now in the name of Jesus. And so Father, we thank you, Lord. We give you all the glory and all the honor. And we ask this in Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thanks. Pleasure being with you today, and I'll turn it back over now. We are so glad you joined us for the Local Church Podcast. To get connected, please follow us on social media and check out our website for groups and other ways to get involved.